Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. Like so many other churches and houses of worship across the world, we've decided to take our weekly service online to comply with various social distancing efforts and stay-at-home orders in light of the recent coronavirus pandemic. Our stream goes live every Sunday at 10 a.m. Be sure to check it out on our website at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. We'd love to have you join us online. Enjoy this message. Uh, I'm just going to give some morning announcements. As always, we have prayer right after service via Zoom, or if you'd like, you can always email your prayer request or your update to Portland, nope, to prayer at portlandvineyard.com. And feel free to give your tithes and offerings as well. Those are greatly appreciated, and you can do that via our website, or you can just mail those in. Um, And we are still waiting to meet together, so keep an eye on that inbox, and we'll let you know if we have any updates. And as always, be blessed. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, Happy Sunday. Good to be with you again. Um, Still here in quarantine, and once again, I I do not yet have an update on... Uh, gathering, but we've been talking a little bit about possibly trying to pull together maybe an outdoor worship event of some kind, either a worship night or a worship morning or something. So we'll let you know about that. Keep your uh, eyes and ears open, and we'll try to put something together in the next few weeks where we can at least sort of gather outdoors on some occasion for uh, a worship time together. But at least for the foreseeable future, it looks like we will continue to be here uh, online. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, I, I was thinking today earlier, you know, the church is the church. It's uh, in the New Testament, the word Ecclesia is church, and it always, always refers to the people. It never refers to the building. And John Wimber used to talk about the church gathered and the church scattered. And so even though we're scattered right now, we're still the church. And uh, I'm just appreciative of that, and I just really encourage all of you guys to continue to be the church and do the things that God's called you to do, pray and keep your spiritual eyes and ears open. And as as he leads you into conversations and things like that with people and possibly opportunities to pray or minister, do that. We continue to have our uh, pantry open here every Thursday, which has been really just a blessing to be able to do that. Our, our volunteer uh, team there has been you know, wearing gloves and masks and doing all the the distancing protocols, but we've been able to continue to serve our community. Uh, In fact, if anything, we haven't seen the surge that some parts of the country have seen, but our numbers have uh, bumped up a little bit. So we're, we're really able to provide service there and, and really be the church. So I just encourage you guys in that. Hey, this morning we are going to return to our series in the parables. Uh, we started looking at some of the parables a few weeks back, and then we took a little break. We broke into that really to, to respond to some of the current events in the world. I think uh, over the last three weeks, both Tuck and I have, have uh, talked to you about just kind of a biblical perspective on what's happening in our culture and society. But this morning, Uh, I want to go back into the parables, which, interestingly enough, are very much a social commentary of their own. But we'll get into that in a minute. Just as a sort of, uh, you know, preamble here, uh, Jesus taught in parables very often. I I looked it up. I can't remember. There are 30 or 32, maybe a little more than that, distinct parables in the four Gospels. Some are overlap and some are different. But the parables are, uh, they're, they're, they're short little stories that communicate truth. And, and they're very, very effective. They're effective for this reason, that stories communicate. Everyone likes a good story. And uh, so, so Jesus, knowing that, often taught truth through these little stories that he utilized. Parables are tricky, though. And this is how they're tricky. It's because 
because they're a story, they're a narrative, you get drawn into the story. And then the parable, uh, as you listen to it or you, or you read it or you hear it, will cause you to look at yourself. You know, often uh, we tend to kind of associate with uh, the good guy in the story, you know. I don't know if you've ever done that. You ever watch a movie, a lot of movies have kind of a storyline that develops over time. And in the beginning of the movie, you kind of think, I'm like this guy or this person that's the good person. And as the story develops, that person's not all good. And maybe the bad person isn't all bad. And you realize, ah, at the end, you go, I don't know, maybe I'm more like that person. And so uh, parables can be tricky in that way. We sometimes, when we hear hear the story initially, we will we will sort of uh, relate to identify with that good person in the story. But by the end, we realize, you know, maybe I, I might have some things in common with uh, the, the not as good person in the story. They're not really always clear cut good and bad. Sometimes they are. Uh, but but again, the parables illustrate truths about life. Um, Richard Foster in, in his uh, classic book, it's it's uh, seminal book, Celebration of Discipline. I don't know if you guys have ever read Celebration of Discipline. We did a study group through it here a few years ago, but if you have not, I would recommend it. It's one of those books that I think every Christian should read. But in Celebration of Discipline, Foster says this, everyone thinks of changing the world, but we're aware of those who think of changing themselves. You know, we want to fix things. We want to fix the government. We want to fix people. We want to fix everything that's wrong with the world. But it really is fairly rare, the person that says, uh, you know, I've come to the conclusion, what I need to fix is myself. I need to focus on uh, where I'm at in life and what I need to change in, in the process of, of, of my own working out of my faith. Uh, I'm going to try to get Stephen to put a little cartoon up on the screen. It's funny because I remembered this cartoon when I was pre prepping the message. It was back from the 70s. It's Pogo, which I don't think even exists anymore. But it, it says, we've met the enemy and he is us. And it's so true. Sometimes our worst enemy is that that's inside of us. Um, I remember another thing. Uh, I'm so dating myself here, but a few of you will remember George Carlin was a comedian in the probably 70s, maybe early 80s. But Carlin did this bit about driving. And I remember him talking about driving on the freeway. And he said, everybody that's going faster than you is a maniac. And everybody that's going slower than you is an idiot. And I thought, yes, he's right. I've said that. I've said those exact words. <laughs> and and, and I, I realized it was funny because it was true that I'm obviously the one that's going the right speed. I'm doing the right thing. Everybody else is out of control. So uh, our focus this morning is on kind of some self-reflection, self-evaluation. We're going to look at one of the parables in uh, Luke chapter 18. Our title is this. It's called Shocking Humility and Extravagant Grace. But let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Thanks, Lord, for uh, this day and for just this beautiful time of year, opportunities maybe for some of us to get out and, and hike and, and uh, just enjoy the, uh, the summer weather a little bit. I just pray, Lord God, for your hand of blessing to be upon our, our congregation, our family today. Pray that you would really just help us to stay connected in various ways throughout uh, this time of, of sort of isolation and separation. And I really pray just that your word would penetrate our hearts and help us to really learn and grow in you this morning. Your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, if you got your Bible there or your phone or whatever, you can read along with me. Uh, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And he says, 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, Jesus is speaking here. It says to some folks who were confident in their own righteousness. They were feeling pretty good about where they are. Um, and that self-confidence causes them to comparatively look down upon other people that aren't in the same place they are. So that really is the problem. I, I want to say this to us. I think it's, it's a good process as we grow in our faith to self-evaluate. I think every once in a while, I, I know many Christians, many Christian leaders who do this on an annual basis, sort of a time of self-reflection, self-evaluation, and just how am I doing? How is my relationship with God? How, how am I in my own faith journey? And there are both objective and subjective standards and, and means of evaluating that. And again, I think it's okay to ask that question. I think it's healthy and positive to do some self-reflection. Um, the, the, the problem uh, the, the challenge comes when you begin to then compare yourself to other people. The reality is this, we're all different. We're all on different growth tracks. We all grow at different rates. And, and, and really, I think here's the thing. God, God is a God who created us each uniquely, and we're all unique people. And so the truth is that I may be growing in one area of my life this year, but not in another area, because that's the area that God's caused me to focus on. And my friend may be growing in another area of their life, but not the area I'm growing in. And it might it might be easy for me to look at them and say, well, I'm doing so much better than that guy over there. But the truth is that we all grow at our own rate. Uh, we, we all have our own challenges in life. And it's, it's really never healthy to compare ourselves to one another. Um, ideally, I, I believe... We will encourage one another. We'll help one another along the way. Um, but again, never really helpful. I, I think it's not helpful at, at all for me or, or for anybody else to compare my growth to, to yours or somebody else's. This particular guy is thankful that he's not like those people. And he lists robbers, evildoers, adulterers. But he could have easily, just as easily have said, homosexuals, addicts, or Democrats. I'm glad I'm not like those people. Uh, hey, I want to mention here that our friend had both, and, and I think this is important, both the right theology and the right behavior. Look, it wasn't like he was some sort of wackadoodle guy from Waco. I mean, he had good theology. Not, not that everybody from Waco is a wackadoodle. Can I just please come and say that? <coughs> But uh, he had right theology and right behavior. The thing he didn't have was the right heart. The other character in Jesus' story was a tax collector. Now, 
I think even today, taxes are, you know, we, nobody likes the IRS, but it's interesting how today the IRS is this, this entity with no face. Nobody knows a tax collector. And I've never met anybody that works for the IRS. If anybody does work for the IRS, I, IRS, I think they have a front. They actually say they work, you know, at Xerox or at Nike or somewhere because nobody wants to know that, want anybody to know that they work for the IRS. But in Jesus' time, a tax collector was an actual guy, a person that lived in your city. Israel, at this point in history, is under Roman rule. Uh, it's, it was called Pax Romana, Roman peace. The Roman peace was this. The Israelites, the Jews, were all under Roman rule, and the Roman peace was you do what they say or you get crushed, and that way we will keep peace. Um, the Roman government was brutal and oppressive towards these people, and they were taxing them unfairly. And what they did, and the, the challenge, and, the, and the, really the point of the story is this, that they would hire locals to do their work. So your neighbor, the guy down the street, is now the guy collecting taxes from you. And to add to the situation, this is how the system worked. The way that that guy got paid was that he would charge you more than the Romans were already unfairly charging you, and then he could skim off what was on the off the top that he collected above and beyond what they were asking for. So people were really being doubly overtaxed by their own friends and neighbors. Um, so you could understand, I mean, it's really important to understand how not liked that person was. And I think on one level, this is a challenge for us to relate to. I mean, you know, the, the think, think of it this way. I can't imagine how this could happen. But if, an, if a foreign power were to take over the United States and we were now living under martial law, under somebody else's law, and they were taxing us unfairly, that would be very much the situation. Um, and not only that, but if they don't, if you don't pay the tag, you say, I'm out, I'm not paying, they would take your children and enslave them, put them to work in the coal mines or the fields or whatever. They would take your kids as, as a way to, to, to extract taxes from you, extract the money they wanted. And in the midst of that, you know, your, your neighbor Bob, who lives down the street over here, he's now the guy that they've sent to collect the taxes from you. It's not some, uh, you know, Roman centurion. It's, it's, it's a friend of yours, a neighbor, a guy you know from your community. So the truth is, you, you, you don't like this guy. You, you really don't like this guy at all. They were not well-liked people in culture and society at all. So here's the question. This is, this is really the theological $64 question today. And if you, again, if you don't know the $64 question reference, look it up. Oh, trivia this morning. Uh, but here's the question. Would you, would you, dear brother or sister in faith, would you be confident that your righteousness exceeds that of that guy that's now collecting the taxes from you? And my guess is, for most of us, the answer would be, well, yeah. It, it kind of does. And that's exactly the attitude of the Pharisee. Look, let's put it in context. He's a little self-righteous. There's no question. But he goes to church. He prays. He tithes. He's, he's really, objectively speaking, not that bad of a guy. To a religious audience, understand, and that's who Jesus is speaking to, this is not a very nice story. Um, what Jesus is saying here 
is the kingdom of God is radical. It's shocking. It's uh, at times the, the the presentation and the presence of the kingdom of God is is actually offensive to people that hear it. It defies common sense. But the bottom line underneath all of that is that as kingdom people, we are forbidden by Jesus to bring judgment against other people, regardless of where they might be in life. We're not to rank anybody and say, this person's better than that person, or I'm better than this guy. The Apostle Paul, who by most standards, you know, in church history and so on and so forth, would be a pretty good guy, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. Pretty good guy. He says in his letter to Timothy, what? I'm the worst of sinners. And it's not past tense. I, I read that this week and I looked it up because I wanted to make sure that it's present tense. And it is. He's not saying, I once was the worst of sinners. No. What he says is, I am the worst of sinners. I need Jesus to save me every single day. That's what Paul is saying. And that's how we understand the work of Christ on our behalf, we live, we're part of, we live in a fallen, sinful world. So we, uh, we, we, we live in a fallen, sinful world. We're part of a fallen, sinful race. And we see others in light of the cross. We, that, that's the beauty of it all. It is Jesus didn't leave us in that place. Yes, we are the worst of sinners. But he continues that thought. And, and, he, and he says this. To... Um, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display the immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. While we all are sinners, Jesus doesn't leave us in that place of sin. He redeems our lives and brings us to a new life in him. When we get this, when we understand that... We realize, I don't need to compare myself to anybody. There's no need to judge anybody. There's no need to rank anybody. There's no need to put anybody above or below anybody else. Um, all God asks of us in the process of redemption is that we be willing to set aside that attitude of the Pharisee. And here's the thing, and, and this is where I think it really maybe takes meaning, is the Pharisee gets his value, his purpose, his meaning in life from the whole social evaluation game. Oh, you know, I'm not like that guy over there. I'm not like these people. I'm not like her. I mean, kids do that in junior high school, but the reality is that we grow up and we continue to do that. We size ourselves up compared to everybody else, and that's exactly what the Pharisee is doing, and that's exactly what Jesus says we don't need to do. We instead are to accept the attitude of the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He has zero confidence in his own righteousness. He stands back, he looks down, he can't even look up at God, and he acknowledges sin. He knows exactly, exactly who he is, and that's why, you know, Jesus says that that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees because they understand who they are. They understand I'm a broken person who needs Christ in my life. Uh, I, I can't do anything on my own. They know who they are. And their only hope and our only hope 
is, is that God's love for, you know, his hope is God's love for him is greater than his sin. Our hope is that God's love for us is greater than our sin. And then Jesus says that that guy went home justified. The, the only way that we can enter into the extravagant grace of God is to embrace the shocking humility of the tax collector. That's the only way. So, so to the... the to, you know, kind of in conclusion, I'd say this to the Pharisee that lives inside all of us, I would say this, you might be really, really good by all objective external standards. You go to church, you pray, you give, you volunteer. And you know what? Yay. Yes. Good for you. you, you you're supposed to do those things. You're supposed to do those things. That's good. Uh, but, but the parable shows us that those externals are, are not they have zero bearing on our ability to stand before God. That's not what gets us there. The, the, the way that we're right-related, the way that we, what gets us there is just re humbly receiving the grace and the mercy and the love of God in our lives. And so then, to the tax collector in all of us, I want to say this. And I think, I, just as I was praying this week, I think there's one or two people who might really, really need to hear this. By those same social standards, externally speaking, you might be the scum of the earth. You, you Maybe you steal from your boss. Possibly you've had an abortion. You might be an addict. Uh, you, you know, you, you've screwed up your life and you know it. And my question to you is this. Can you accept that God loves you anyway? That, that he sees you as just as precious, just as beautiful, beautiful, just as valuable as Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Tucker Arnold or anybody along those lines. Just accept that. Look to him and say, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and you and you alone uh, can make me new. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Look forward to, to being together with you all, hopefully very, very soon. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you all online next week.